Once there were two roosters living in the same farmyard who could not bear the sight of each other. And at last, one day, they flew up to fight it out, beak and claw. They fought until one of them was beaten and crawled off to a corner to hide. And the rooster that had won the battle flew to the top of the hen house and proudly flapping his wings, crowed with all his might to tell the world about his victory. But an eagle, circling overhead, heard the boasting rooster and swooping down, carried him off to his nest. And his rival saw the deed and coming out of his corner, took his place as master of the farmyard. Talk to your neighbor and tell me what the moral of this story is. Tell, or tell each other and then, and then I want to hear it. What's the moral of this story? This is a classic Aesop fable. Go. All right, talk to me. What is the moral of this Aesop fable? Say it again. I don't hear anyone. Don't boast in your strength. Okay, give me another one. That's close. Or it's maybe right, but give me another one. Watch out for eagles. That's good to keep in mind from this front row. I can see you and I can't see anyone else, so I need that. Stay humble. Stay humble. Okay, great. Good. So don't boast in your victory. Stay humble. That is the point. Okay, tonight we're in this passage in Mark 10. We've been in Mark this semester. We're going to stay in Mark this semester. And these are interactions with Jesus. And this is James and John, two of the disciples that are closest with Jesus, two of his inner circle. These disciples know him, he knows them, and they are very close. Now, I, I want to give a little bit of context for this story because it, it actually does matter a lot. Throughout Mark, there is, um, there's a theme, sort of, of blindness, particularly Mark 8 through 10. And we're, we're coming in towards the end of that, and we'll get to some blindness stuff. But there's this theme of blindness. And, and what Mark does so brilliantly is he moves the disciples into this theme to show that they don't quite understand what Jesus is getting at. They are functioning as the blind. Jesus is talking and they don't quite understand it and they are actually the blind people, not the blind people that are in the story. Okay, now, um, this story comes right on the heels of, of one of three times that Jesus is foreshadowing his death. He's telling them that we're going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. He says it, I mean, as, as clear as day. Um, he says here, um, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. So right after saying that, James and John get an idea. They hear something in that. They don't hear all the bad stuff. They hear the good stuff. They know because of their own history that going up to Jerusalem, Son of Man means Messiah. Going up to Jerusalem, he's actually going to rise up at the end and take his spot and the throne. And they see it uh, as an opportunity. Okay, So they don't hear all of the spitting uh, on him, the mocking him, the flogging him, and the killing him. They're like, okay, okay, okay. But, but at the end, you're going to reign supreme, right? And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great, good. When you're up there, we would like 
to sit at your right and your left hand. Okay, that's what they're going to do. So, right before they get there, though, they do something interesting. This is not, this, this is actually something that we do pretty regularly. Um, they say, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, the language is kind of weird. We wouldn't say it like that, but we do this a lot. Uh, normally, when you ask someone to do a favor for you, maybe, maybe not you, but, but one of the common things is, hey, can you do me a favor? Before you actually say what the favor is, you ask someone if they will do you a favor. Yes or no? And our answer is actually really similar often to what Jesus' answer is. What, what would you say if I were to say, uh, will you do me a favor? What's the favor? Depends what it is. I don't know yet. Um, and Jesus says something actually really similar uh, to this. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And then they say, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. So they know that Jesus is going to Jerusalem to become king. They don't understand how that's going to happen, even though he tells them plainly that it's going to happen through his death. They just know that he's going to be king, and they see it as an opportunity to gain some power for themselves. And Jesus does something uh, miraculous, um, or, or he says something, it's, that's a bad word, I guess. Um, it, it says something surprising, that, that's a better word. He actually does miracles, you know, so miraculous means something different when we're talking to Jesus. He does something surprising, okay? Uh, he says uh, to them, you don't know what you're asking, okay? Because in Jesus' kingdom, leadership, glory, authority, power, leadership is marked by humility. It's not marked by power, by glory, by authority. Uh, I'm going to use those tonight sort of interchangeably uh, and just recognize that that is what they're looking for. They hear that Jesus is going to be king and they see a shortcut to gain some power to gain some glory, to gain some authority. They want to sit at his right and his left in places of honor. And they think maybe if they just ask, uh, then they'll get it. I looked up, uh, I looked up what the common characteristics uh, of people who get promoted are. Okay, so I just Googled this. Um, this was six ways to get promoted by Business News Daily. We ready? So, so James and John are trying to get promoted. They're, they're trying to get, uh, you know, sit at his right and his left. Okay, six ways to get promoted. Track your accomplishments so that you can highlight them whenever you're in an appropriate place to do that. Dress for success. Improve your skills in your career area. Act like a leader. Be sociable. And number six, just ask for it. The disciples hit most of these, actually. Um, they're walking with Jesus. They're sociable. They're his, like, best friends. Um, they're working. He's been, uh, they've been following him for years now, working on those career skills, not fishing, fishing men. Uh, I don't know about dressing for success. I don't know what dressing for success looked like in the ancient world. In my mind, they all were kind of the same thing. So, yeah, sure. Um, tracking your accomplishments, maybe. Maybe. They're, they're thinking uh, all of the great things that they've done. They're maybe thinking, ah, oh, we're closest to Jesus. Um, we're there. We've, we've done well. Maybe he'll give us this. Right? And they do actually just ask for it. 
they aren't going to get it. They're blind. Because God's kingdom is marked by humility. And leadership in God's kingdom is marked by humility. So, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. And then he asks them a question. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And this is a sort of cryptic message, but very quickly they say to him, yes, we're able. And there's a boldness there. The drinking of the cup and the baptism piece, um, just so you know, because it is confusing for us as readers, uh, the drinking of the cup is uh, actually like an Old Testament and a long Bible um, phrase that largely means God's judgment. It can also mean God's blessing, um, but in the case of Jesus, it means uh, God's judgment on him. Uh, And the disciples would have known that. Uh, That is what the Messiah was there to do. They know that like, yeah, he's going to suffer. We got it. He just told us that. We can do that. Uh, and the baptism one is actually a little more interesting, but, but most likely it's something like unity uh, with sinners, or it's something like uh, what we say in baptism here. Um, it's actually participating in his death with him. Um, and that's a weird one for them to be like, yeah, 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 we can do that too. Um, maybe they don't quite understand what he's saying. And Jesus says, uh, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, you will be, or uh, with the baptism uh, with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And so he says, yeah, yeah, you will do those things, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And this is surprising. We hear Jesus and we think, well, whose is it to grant if not Jesus's? In this case, it's God's. God has been preparing the way, actually, for Jesus to go to the cross. Has been preparing the way. And Jesus is saying, I don't actually make this decision. This can't be earned. You can't skip ahead just by asking. There's a process here, and I don't even make that decision. God, the Father in heaven, is who has made that decision, and I haven't. That actually is surprising, I think. Now, the other disciples here that James and John are doing this. James and John have kind of cornered Jesus over here and asked him. And the other disciples get wind of this and they get upset. Now there's a question of maybe why are they upset? I think, along with some uh, biblical commentators, that, that they're not upset actually because James and John are self-seeking and or seeking status. Okay, that, that's maybe the, the most obvious read, but, but Jesus um, addresses all of them next. And that suggests maybe that that's not why they're upset. They're actually maybe upset because James and John thought to ask first, um, that, that they asked and they might get it instead of us because they asked and we didn't. Uh, and, and I do think that's actually something that we can identify with. Um, I, don't know if you've, <laughs> I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes like in a big group setting, like at a, at a dinner where people have fed me, I want to tell the host, thank you. And then someone else says, thank you first. And you're like, dang it. Uh, because now it just seems like I'm saying thank you because I'm obligated because they said thank you and I wanted 
that. I wanted to be recognized for, uh, for saying thank you first. And so it's like this weird thing, and, and I get the sense that, that maybe that's actually what's, what's working here, is that uh, James and John had the foresight, and they're frustrated that they had the foresight to do it first. Okay? Jesus called the rest of the disciples to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So this is no longer just about Jerusalem. This is no longer just about Israel. He says the Gentiles. And in this case, he means the world. Uh, And actually, the way that we seek power, the way that we use power is not different than than how people in the ancient world did as well. Um, When you want to show that you have some authority, when you want to show that you have power, you display it. You show that you have wealth. You show some, uh, some example of might. We get this, um, uh, people, I don't know, puffing up their feathers uh, like a peacock. They, they want to show that, like, I'm a tough guy or whatever it is. They want to show that they have power. Uh, if they've got wealth, they might want to flaunt it. You want other people to know it's very showy. But in God's kingdom, leadership is marked by humility. And so Jesus is saying, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, lord their authority over them, and show it. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." There's this element of of service and humility. Pardon me if you've heard this illustration. I didn't ask Jason if he had used it before, but I actually think maybe I heard it from you, Jason. Sorry. Um, I read the book, but then I think you used it in a sermon. I'm going to say it again because it's good and it works for this really well. Um, It's, well, it's good. We'll see if it's good for this audience. Um, Do you guys know who Princess Diana is? Is that a stupid question? Okay, cool, cool, great. Then, it, then it'll work. Um, do you know who Mother Teresa is? Okay, cool, cool. They both died in 1997, and I realized for most of you that was before you were born. So I was like, I don't know. It's, it's Prince Harry and William's mom, right? That's how maybe we know her. Okay, um, Princess Diana and, and Mother Teresa... Um, Andy Crouch, in his book Culture Making, uh, pulls this out. Um, These are the two most famous women in the world in the late 90s. All across the world, people know who they are. And there's something fascinating about both of them. Because everyone wants to be Princess Diana. But really only one person can be princess. (laughs) Like the princess of England. Uh, There's a certain amount of wealth uh, and status that she was born into. A certain amount of uh, good looks that she has. um, And she is married to the prince of Wales. And so uh, there's only one person that gets to do that. And everyone wants to be like her. And Mother Teresa, the other most famous woman, anyone can actually be Mother Teresa. Anyone can be like Mother Teresa. Her, her life is marked by service. Her life is marked by humility in Calcutta, serving lepers, serving people with HIV and AIDS, serving orphans, caring for the sick and the dying. That is a life of service. And somehow, in this like wild array of things, that propelled her to fame. Because there are tons and tons and tons of people uh, who 
who do what she did and don't receive any kind of fame or glory for it. But all of us can be like her. And there's only one person that can be like, uh, like Princess Diana, and that was her. Uh, now, I guess, Kate Middleton, sure. Uh, but there's only one Kate, and there'll only be one after her. Uh, but any of you could live a life of humility, live a life of leadership in God's kingdom marked by that humility uh, and serve his kingdom in that way. Now, I, I don't want to get this passage twisted because it does sound like at the end of this passage that what it means then to be a disciple is actually to serve others. And while that's true, I, I don't know if that's the main point of this passage because what actually happens in our heart sometimes uh, when that is the case is we think that all of a sudden we can begin to earn that spot through service. Okay? And so when he calls attention to the servants and the slaves, he's calling attention to the people in society who don't have the power, who don't have authority, who don't have fame, who don't have money or wealth or clout or anything like that. He's calling attention to a posture and a position and he says, it's that position of humility that marks the leaders in my kingdom. It's not necessarily that they are serving. Uh, it, it, is, it is the humble estate there. Um, and, and God's kingdom is upside down in that way. The ways that we find leadership are dressing for success, tracking our accomplishments, uh, being sociable, networking, or something like that, um, asking for promotions. Uh, and he's saying, that's not how it works in my kingdom. That's not how it works. Now, I want to finish with this story um, that, that follows the request of James and John. Uh, this was going to be a passage that we preached on by itself, but it, but it was the cutting room floor. It wasn't going to get it, and so I'm going to tack it on here um, as a wonderful il illustration because what Mark does in chapters 8 through 10 uh, that theme of blindness that I was talking about and the disciples being the ones often who are blind and not quite getting it. Um, that story is followed by this one, Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus. And there's something that happens in this story and, and having them juxtaposed with one another, um, it illustrates actually um, what the disciples should be doing, what James and John should have asked for um, as opposed to sitting at the right hand and left of the Father. So I'm going to read it and we'll talk briefly about it and we'll end here. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples... Uh, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called him, uh, and they called the blind man, uh, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now, blind Bartimaeus is a beggar. 
It doesn't say that he's a servant or a slave, but beggar functions in the same way as servant and slave that we talked about. It's someone of low estate, humble estate. He's begging and he's blind. He has a physical disability that prevents him uh, from operating in all of the normative ways of society. Uh, And that puts him socially uh, on the bottom rung. And immediately when he calls out, it doesn't say specifically that it's the, dis- that it's the disciples that do this, uh, but the people who are with Jesus rebuke him. This sounds a lot like the show uh, of power, uh, the display of power um, that Jesus is talking about with the Gentiles. It says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So in the moment when this blind beggar is calling out to Jesus, his followers, the people who are with him, rebuke the blind beggar. They tell him, stop. Stop. This isn't for you. Stop. You're making noise. You're getting in the way. Uh, You're disrupting what we're doing here. Uh, And probably embarrassing for them, Jesus says, nope, call him over here. Like as soon as they start rebuking him, Jesus puts a stop to it and says, no, tell him to come this way. Um, And he asks blind Bartimaeus the same question that he asks James and John. Okay? So, So back in verse 36... When James and John say uh, that they, they want him to do whatever we ask, his response to them uh, is, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, in your glory, grant us to sit, one at your right and one at your left. Okay? What do you want me to do for you? They want glory. And blind Bartimaeus here, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The exact same thing. And he says, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So the disciples who have been blind and don't quite understand what Jesus is doing and don't quite understand the kingdom that he is ushering in uh, because they are still functioning under the ways of the world. They still believe that his kingdom operates like the ways of the world and that he is going to take power, that he is going to take it. And he says, no, he came to serve. Or, uh, no, I came to serve. The Son of Man came to serve. Uh, Because God's kingdom is marked by humility. Leadership in God's kingdom is marked by humility. Discipleship in God's kingdom is marked by humility. And blind Bartimaeus here shows that. Uh, He knows uh, that he doesn't have much to lose here. He's already on the bottom rung. And he calls out all the more. And he says, let me recover my sight. Uh, And Jesus says uh, that your faith has made you well. And the story functions uh, for us as disciples of Jesus, um, a a way to actually be humbled uh, by the people around us who we uh, we don't expect, uh, who have, uh, I don't know, gifts that aren't often elevated um, by society. Um, These are, are, I don't know, People that, uh, Blind Bartimaeus um, just shows us that um, God's kingdom is working um, in unexpected ways. That, it, that um, the people that are sitting at his right and his left hand aren't the people that we expect. It's not the people with the most money, necessarily. It might be, um, but that doesn't get them there. It's not the people who work the hardest that get there. Jesus isn't deciding. Uh, that position has already been decided, and it's people like blind Bartimaeus um, whose faith saves them. Can I do a PS? 
because there was something that I left out that I actually did want to talk about that came out sort of in the prayer. Um, there's something unique, I think, about this. Um, it, Jesus does not actually... Uh, he doesn't say that it's wrong to desire greatness or glory. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you actually that um, that is something that you can desire. Uh, I think. And that's something that you can actually work towards. Um, that is something that you can track your accomplishments. You can do those things. Um, th the trick is, um, for us and for the people in God's kingdom, the way that we go about um, seeking that glory is actually what matters. That it needs to be marked by humility and not by hubris. Okay, so that, that I think is uh, the key piece here. Um, that God, uh, Jesus doesn't shame them for wanting glory. Um, he just says that the way that you want it, the shortcut that you're trying to take isn't appropriate for my kingdom. That that's not how it works. That it's through humility, not hubris. Okay, that's all. Thank you. Amen.